podcast for giftware and specialty food artisans who want to work smarter, earn more, and live better. Hosted by Stefa Normantis. Hi, this is Stefa. Thank you for listening to Artisans Who Wholesale. I met Matt a few years ago when he joined our New England Made show. I was immediately impressed with his all-in approach and focused effort to grow his business. Matt has a quintessential Connecticut product, a product that reflects the tradition of nautical nut work. It's super fun to watch his fingers fly in action and even better to have a chance to connect with him today. And Matt can tell us more about this, but Yankee Magazine just awarded them as editor's choice for Connecticut made work, which is a big deal. So let me tell you a little bit more about Matt. Matt Bedoin of Mystic Knotwork started nautical knottying from his earliest memory. His grandfather, Alton Bedoin, encouraged him to learn fancy knotwork since he was seven years old. He's been active in the knot tying hobby for 41 years and left his IT job in 2009 to pursue this full time. Mystic Knotwork now serves over 400 shops around the country. That's a big deal. And has two workshops open to the public in downtown Mystic, Connecticut. So welcome, Matt. Hi, Stefa. Nice to have you here. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and your business. Well, myself is um, kind of interesting. My identified background is actually IT and computer science. That's actually where my career track was supposed to go. Back in around 2008, that all kind of shifted as I kept my grandfather's business alive as a hobby and just for fun, you know, craft shows, the normal. As the economy was downturning, my company wasn't giving me the raises I felt I deserved. So I'd pick up new business. And by 2009, I realized I was actually able to make the same money sitting on my couch as I was going to work every morning. And that's when uh, Bedoin's Rope Locker morphed into Mystic Knotwork. That was 2009. So mm-hmm. Mystic Knotwork is... A, uh, a group of artisans that get they get together. We tie the nautical knotwork, sailor bracelets, coasters, the usual fare you see. Uh, as you said, um, over 400 gift shops around, mostly in New England. I mean, if you've seen if you've seen a, a bracelet in New England, you've probably seen our work. Great. And what products do you sell, Matt? What's the line look like? All of our products are handmade by us. Cotton, cotton woven bracelets. It's hard to describe without knowing mm-hmm. them. Um, describe a lobster to somebody who's never seen one. But it's a, it's a band-woven bracelet, single strand, nine feet long into a braided pattern. If to look at it, looks vaguely like a, like a hair braid. But it's a single strand wrapped around nine times around your wrist in a braided pattern. We've added to that line over the years, and we've now added anchor bracelets and whale bracelets. We served over 1,000 weddings last year doing monkey fists, table centerpieces, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We have seven weddings going out today. Oh. Uh, tell me what a monkey fist design is. Well, a monkey fist, um, in, in the sailor's language of the day, they always kind of made joking names for things. And a monkey fist is supposedly looks like a, a balled up fist, a monkey, a monkey's punching you. But it's a um, it's a ball shaped knot that's got bumps across all, all six facets, mm-hmm. usually cord on something to hold help hold its shape. Traditionally, they would be cord on a piece of uh, hardwood or you know, leftover something on the boat to give it weight, and you'd use it to uh, tie off a messenger line to throw between ship and ship or ship to shore. Nowadays, we ha- we core them in something, you know, much lighter and safer, and people use them as keychains or decorative pieces around the house, doorstops, dog toys, those sorts of things. Fun. Now, are you doing both wholesale and retail at this point, or what's your mix? Very much doing wholesale and retail. We were um, one of the one of Martha Stewart American Made six first uh, shops. She she brand, uh, branded with, and she gave us the huge push that actually got me to quit my job. But in two thousand 
2015, mm -hmm. the town got a hold of me and, and offered me a building here in downtown Mystic for the same price I was paying for my warehouse space that I was working out of at the time. Mm -hmm. So that suddenly morphed us into a customer forward walk-in retail workshop. Mm -hmm. So, and that's actually come up to being about 50% of our total business, which is pretty amazing considering the prior year, the first year we moved into downtown Mystic, we had sales equal to what I did in the entire a day to a month. So every day in, in Mystic, we're doing more, as many sales as we did in a, a month over in the, the factory in uh, the Velvet Mill. Wow. That's some amazing numbers. That makes it interesting, too, because you get product response. You can see what colors people are, even if they don't buy them, which ones they're are gravitating to. You get a sense of style and where things are moving. You see people and what they're wearing, so you can try to stay a little more color-centric than we were before. In 2008, we had, the, we had all the colors in the world you could possibly want, as long as you just wanted white. <laughs> uh, in 2009, we added, and now we're up to 18 colors. Uh, wow, that's a great lab to work with in the sense that you get that direct response to develop uh, both sides of the business. Uh, what are you most proud of in the business, Matt? It's a really interesting question. It's out, it's outside the business. I'm actually most proud to, uh, to be an ambassador for the state of Connecticut and um, the things that I do in collaboration with state tourism and uh, the Connecticut Made Project, which... Um, I was one of the agitators that got that to to get off the ground. Terrific. And tell me a little bit more about that program. Well, Connecticut Made is a very nascent version of Maine Made, where they basically, you're allowed, if you have a business in Connecticut that you make things, you're allowed to use their logo. And it's an honor system with a check. So if you're, if they find you're not, you're not adhering to their standards, they will, um, they will give you a cease and desist, but it's, not as well known as Maine Made, of course, but it includes, uh, you know, um, Wiffle, Wiffle Ball and us and a couple of soap companies. I'm, I'm actually trying to think of brand names, but yeah. there's about 30 of us so far. That's terrific. That's great that you're together to just raise awareness of, of, you know, the good products that are made in Connecticut. Tell me about your challenges. The hardest part of the business these days, what's your current challenge? Hardest part of the business is actually governance it's the lack of understanding at the federal and state level as to what it what it means to be a growing small artist in business it seems like the government understands what an what a what a craft show seller is or what a farmers market mm -hmm. seller is and they understand what a big corporation is but they don't really get what's in the middle you know there is no mm -hmm. training path for me to hire somebody off the street who can do my job it takes me somewhere between a month and six months to train somebody up to the point that I'm not getting killed. I mean, I've had, I've had a first shift for somebody cost me a thousand dollars in one shift Ugh. and just ruined raw materials, ruined product. And you just got to soak it up and deal with it. And the power and the energy of the state is not to understand that it's to look at us just like um, they would look at a grocery store, or look at a mall, a mall shop. Mm -hmm. And don't give us the the ability to train or help training people. And it's just a difficult climate. And then you add to that all the stuff that's happening in the federal level with interstate uh, commerce laws and sales tax and things. And I find myself mm -hmm. worrying about that far more than building a, a building a brand and building a business. Yeah, that's such wasted energy. But it's you got to do it. Exactly. Tell me about a failure moment and something you learned from it. <laughs> a failure moment. <laughs> I know. We've, <laughs> we've all got a lot of them. I haven't had an abject failure, so to speak. I have had mm -hmm. some epically bad uh, 
financial decisions. So I have all my all my string comes in. I have it custom dyed, custom made for me. There's a six month lead time. Um, when I was quitting my job, I had say I had I knew it was going to be Martha Stewart magazine, so I knew it was going to be busy. So I actually ordered uh, forty thousand dollars worth of material before the magazine came out, knowing that or hoping that the sales from the magazine article would cover the gap that I had, and that did work out, but. When I ordered, I forgot that inches and pounds aren't the same thing. So when I buy ratios, I had brought in I had brought in about seventy five percent of bracelet string and twenty five percent of coaster string by by weight, but by size it ended up being ninety two percent bracelet string and eight percent coaster string. So as soon as that product Ouch. landed, I was out of stock on half of it. So I had to eat another $20,000 in expenditure with no ability to pay. I ended up taking a loan out of my house to pay for that to fix it. So it wasn't, you know, to the customer's side of things, it was no failure, but it was it was definitely stressful in the family. Yeah, yeah. Those are the ones where, you know, whether it's metric, whether it's yards, whether it's whatever, it's, you just wish you could rewind it. Yeah, because our, our, our coaster string, our coaster string is nominally called a 48 and our and our Bracelet strings are 48 and our coaster strings are 108. So if you look at that ratio, that's the ratio, roughly the ratio of inches mm-hmm. per pound too. So you can see it, you get almost twice as much bracelet string as you do coaster string. Ouch, that's a hard one to get back from. Yeah, that was... Especially out of the gate. We're still suffering with that now too. Because, you know, having having to buy our, our rope and string 400 pounds at a time, it's six month mm-hmm. lead. You know, right now I have all the material I'm going to, all the material on order that'll come in and I have to hope I guess right because I won't be able to fix that until uh, November. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so that makes for, that made for, that made for a major growth challenge. Yeah. yeah. Especially when that revenue uh, won't be realized for quite a while. So, yeah. And this is absolutely backhanded praise to New England made Portland. We went up to, we went up to your first show and our goal was 20 wholesale accounts and maybe that many orders. Um, we left that show with 95 new accounts, and we. This is the other failure point. And as I said, six month lead time of materials. I did not. I had. I had my Navy coaster material. I only had the raw material on hand to fill about half those orders. There was some coming in, but I had to uh, get my supply chain on my rope side really go crazy, and they got it to me just in the nick of time, and I was able to get through that. Mm-hmm. And there was some definite growing pains, but you know. Is, there's a point where you're supposed to say no. We don't just keep saying yes to everybody because, mm-hmm. you know, those lightning strike moments happen. And if I had that to play over, I probably would have shut my booth to a waiting list booth at midday Saturday. Yeah. Or midday Sunday. Yeah. No, it's hard because you don't know what you're saying no to. And if you're starting out, then that's a really hard because you don't know whether you'll have that opportunity again with a particular buyer or exactly. whatever. So that's that's just such a challenge to know where that line is of yeah. when is it time to uh, move to a waiting list. Hopefully the buyers that were there, I came back the second year mostly for a mea culpa mm-hmm. with some of the issues that we did have in the growing pains and. Um, the buyers were all understanding, you know, because we did communicate with them early mm-hmm. and often. And we we have actually, I think every every buyer that we had that we created issue with actually came back around to us. So you know, because we, because they understood we and they could see the booth itself and how it was shaping out. Yeah. And we're all small businesses. We all look out for each other, and it's a really good good energy, really good dynamic there. Though I did learn a lot of lessons from that. And I think your key of communicating and 
early and often. Sometimes you just want to hide and duck from it. Like, oh my God, I don't want to have that hard conversation with a buyer to disappoint them. But, yeah. you know, uh, that bites you. Uh, that bites you in the end. If yeah, you can't get the reputation back once you've lost it. No, no. What do you wish somebody had told you, Matt, before you started? <laughs> There, there is a great book. It's called The E-Myth Revisited. Oh, yeah. And it talks about the difference between an entrepreneur, a manager, and a technician. Mm-hmm. And if I had realized that to grow a business past, to grow an, an artisan group past three or four people, you lose the technician's role and enter into the leadership management role. Mm-hmm. I would have been stunned. I still am absolutely hooked on tying knots and working in string, mm-hmm. but I spend my nine to five, for lack of a better word, managing, leading, dealing with operational negotiation issues. And mm-hmm. it's only at about five o'clock till, well, so I was actually tying knots at three thirty this morning uh, that I can actually play with my string and do what I like to do. Yeah. 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 There's quite a, that's a fantastic book and I will link to it in our show notes because I think any entrepreneur, any artist in starting out, that's worth the read. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot in there that can save folks just some hardship some understanding out of yeah. the other thing i learned was and I, I learned this pretty early so it didn't hurt me too bad is if you're going to have a wholesale business price your wholesale first then mark up to your retail don't think of it as your retail business marking down into wholesale mm-hmm. that way you're not feeling the bite if somebody buys wholesale you feel the, the celebration when somebody buys retail yeah you want to leave yourself that backup room so that you keep your margins. Anything else that your business has taught you that you that's particularly helpful for somebody else? One of my one of my big things my previous job was I was the I was a solver. I was sent to three states. I was traveling thousands of miles every every other week and just going in and finding the problem and solving it. And I could be the hero every single day. Mm-hmm. And when the, you realize when you're in a business like this, you can't be that hero is it's a team operation there's no problem there's no problems almost no problem small enough i can solve by myself anymore Mm -hmm. takes it takes it takes camaraderie it takes teamwork it takes cajoling on on all sides and you gotta have have people who can trust looking out for you because you can't see everything and keep track of everything Mm -hmm. so it's just that understanding that things take time and things take people and you need to need to hire people you can trust and help foster that trust in those people that's great advice. How often are you introducing new products? I know you have a significant lead time just for your supply chain, but how often, uh, what's your R&D like process? As a totally new product line, I think we've only done it maybe four times in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. As adaptation of current product line, we're, every year we're doing something different, adding a color. I mean, right now, in collaboration with another vendor I met up at, uh, another artist and I met up at uh, New England Made, we're going to be bringing on two new colors of our doormats. And that th- that material should land Thursday or Friday. And then we're going to start making stuff that's going to be exterior grade synthetic so people can put them on their boats and do the things you can't do with a natural manila. So it works out really well. But it's not new knots. I mean, not the knots we use. You can find them on Grecian Orange. You can find them in the Sutton Hoo and the Book of Kells. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's history. It's everywhere. It's just applying the same work to, the, to other medium and other uses. And Matt, just as far as background for me, how many knots are there? And that may be, uh, you know, an impossible question to answer. But when in typical knot 
My grand quoted 1964 in Yankee Magazine that nodding is a nodding is a book with no, nodding is a story with no end. He bragged in. It's actually fun to read the newspaper articles about him. But mm -hmm. in the 50s, he said he could tie 7,000 knots. Oh. In the 80s, it was down to three or 4,000. And it just dropped. It, it was Over the years, it was dropping because as you specialize in one thing, you lose, uh, you lose it. And when he was in his 20s and 30s, when he was traveling the Merchant Marine, that's what he did. Was He, he tied mm -hmm. knots to pass the day, and he worked his way through the encyclopedia knots and other books. And he's yeah. been credited with designing some knots of his own. Cool. So really, it's an, it's an infinite series. You know, even just the Turk's Head Knot, which is my sailor bracelet, that one particular class of knots is an infinite series. You get past you get past certain lumbers, like the one I'm wearing on my wrist right now, took took thirty five feet of rope and about four hours for me to tie. You know, and it and it expands to the cube of the number of turns and bites is how long it takes. So mm -hmm. it you know, you the limitations like pie. It's you know, there's no limit to how many you can tie, there's limit how long you have to tie it. Fine, very fun. Do you have a favorite? Don't even know the name of it. So our doormat, one of our doormat designs is called a prolong knot. And the very first move of the prolong knot makes this four-pointed rose looking looking shape. And it's just, it's just the uh, sensory load of tying that knot is just so cool because you just kind of coil this piece of string in your hand. And then when, in two tucks, suddenly you have this you have this, uh, this perfectly symmetrical knot. And I just, it's the simplest, silliest thing, but I just get the biggest kick out of how it feels to make that particular, that particular weave. Well, it sounds like you still have a lot of joy in the process. And I think sometimes when artisans get into something, then all of a sudden the part that gave them the most joy in the beginning, all of a sudden is not fun anymore. But it sounds like uh, you still have that in full force. Yeah, I get more fun from watching other people learning it right now. I've, you know, I've got one of my one of my guys, James, right now. He and uh, Josh are working on a sign for our front window that just says Mystic, and it's all done in uh, woven letter patterns. And developing that and watching that, I don't think James has ever worked on on that particular design stuff in, at all. So we made it part of his mm -hmm. his senior project for high school. And Josh does a lot of these sort of weaves, but he's never actually done letters. He's always done anchors and various other things. So just applying that to a different uh, mm -hmm. design set. So it's just fun watching them learn and develop and watch the creative process around me and watching actually watching mm -hmm. artisans pass me in skill. I mean, Josh is at least my equal in what he knows right now. I know Eli's passed me. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. What is your most successful marketing tool or your best promotion? And I, and I know there's a number of awards and I would love to hear you tell us a little bit more about some of the awards that you've, you know, racked up on the hardware side of things, but tell me a little bit more about the marketing and, that end of things for you we're still really learning marketing and you know, we have such a ridiculously tight niche product and at its core it's storytelling at its core it's mm -hmm. social engagement and you know expressing your values and trying to stay in that realm and how you apply that into marketing i am very much learning you know we had an email list of eight thousand people i hadn't and never sent them a letter to it. i sent one letter once and then unloaded sales but it, you know now that's kind of falling by the wayside because who wants to see an email every two weeks? Instagram's the most fun. I would love to see an email from you every month that taught me a new knot or told me a story about a new knot. So looping back to your storytelling, uh, I think there is. Well, the one we're doing, well, the one we just sent out this week, there was a, a sperm whale encounter where a sperm whale came upon a bunch of free divers and started clicking at them and trying to get their attention and trying to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. 
and that was a that was a fun little story. And then we did uh, we started doing collaborative photo shoots with some of the other businesses around us. Fun. And Jill's really taken a photography. So uh, Rochelle's boutique next door to us, her models and our bracelets, and we cross promote each other's work through our social media and through our websites. Fantastic. And that's what seems to be working out well, but it's really early on. But that's a, that's a trick that we that we think we I think it's working is to take advantage of the other people who also want to be known and share your share your space with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my 7,000 and change Instagram followers and her 3 or 4,000 Instagram followers combined together is is quite a quite a bit of reach for both of us. Mhm. And people we wouldn't normally reach otherwise. And we're starting to do that more and more. We've collaborated with a couple of vineyards and Madison Beach Hotel and weddings and all those other things. And it's really, you know, extension of the storytelling aspect is it's showing your neighborhood too. Mm-hmm. When people ask what the most appropriate marketing tool right now for artisans, you know, Instagram hands down, if somebody has to focus on just one. Tell me a little bit more about some of the hardware that you've picked up. I know you've got a great list of some recognition and I would be happy to brag for you, but I would love to hear it from you because they're really wonderful accomplishments, Matt. They're not easy to, to have a lineup like that. So tell me, uh, tell me what the last few years have been like. Oh, it's really funny because in 57, my grandfather won the Mystic Outdoor Art Festival for the first time. And that's what I use as the start of the business. And he was in Yankee Magazine in 64. And that was my goal. My goal is to be in Yankee Magazine. <laughs> of all things, you're in New England, you know, your duck, your duck boots, your plaid shirt, your, 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 uh, your lobster pot, your, and, and your <laughs> issue of Yankee Magazine, and you have all farmers almanacs sticking on a nail in the bathroom. The first one I got noticed by, the first one I got noticed by was, was, um, Martha Stewart Weddings, Elizabeth Graves. We ended up doing her brother's wedding and there were some complications that resolved and as a result she noticed us and unbeknownst to me was introducing us to Martha and all of a sudden I get this phone call from from uh, Hannah Millman and she said that um, first thing I'll tell you is you can't win. Second thing is we want to enter you into the uh, into the Martha Stewart American Made contest. This was 2012 and so they wrote this amazing write-up. They sent postcards. They, they, we were 600 million media reaches on our, on our picture of our stuff. And wow. that was the explosion of the business. We were, as a, as a result of that contest and us playing along with them as a fake entry, they mm-hmm. uh, invited us to the event. I met the marketing director of Coca-Cola. I met uh, Calvin Klein and, and uh, Governor, um, I mean, Mayor Bloomberg, Andy Cohen, and a few others. And got some real good advice from a bunch of them and the Calvin Klein story is a whole new story but um, that was fun but um, mm-hmm. two years later we've been the only repeat threepeat to their to their event um, we ended up going to we only artisan to go to every single one of them actually and in 2014 they decided to recognize us as heritage award winners because we were carrying on a tradition that you know is you know mm-hmm. prehistory and growing a business through it and and Martha personally thought it was interesting enough to create an award just uh, just for us. Now, that was my first award. This, that was 2014. 2015, mm-hmm. the American Craft Week, I'd met them down at um, Wendy Rosen's show in D.C., and they decided that we were such a powerful influence on the arts commu- uh, artisan community that we need to be named Artist Extraordinaire, which is kind of a cheerleader award more so than an artist's award. But it was mm-hmm. kind of cool to get recognized nationally. 2015, we were SCORE's small business champion for Connecticut, and that involved getting shipped off to uh, Rochester, New York for seminars and a cash prize and things like that. 2016, 
a score. 2017 Business Insider named us the number one souvenir in Connecticut. So this was along with along with Mickey Mouse ears and uh, I love New York shirts mm-hmm. and it was in that list. So it wasn't even it wasn't even artisan. It was just object, which was really interesting wow. to cross the divide from being seen just as a niche artisan thing into being a souvenir for representing a state. Now we're up to 2018. 2018, we won the Governor's Council on Tourism Award as a rising star because I, I decided that we wanted to become, since the shop in, in downtown, we want to become something and do work on it. So we were driving so much mm-hmm. traffic and so much interest in Mystic. We'd appeared in 27 newspaper and magazine articles around the country. We're really just driving it that the governor decided to recognize us for that effort. And that was paired with the Eastern Chamber of Commerce's Small Business of the Year for similar for similar things. We'd help with tourism and all that sort of thing and just as community business members. And I had become named to the board of directors of the Eastern Chamber of I mean of, of the Mystic Chamber of Commerce at that point also. Mm-hmm. And then just this year, we got our we, we we got our recognition not just in Yankee Magazine, which for our second time, we got mm-hmm. one as part of a visit Mystic with a, with a picture of us and the drawbridge operator, but also um, we got Editor's Choice for Connecticut Made. And if you look through the magazine, there, not every state had a had a uh, state made artist chosen. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, Colonial Mills in Rhode Island was chosen, and I don't remember who was in Maine, but New Hampshire. I didn't see one for New Hampshire, Vermont this mm-hmm. year. So that was really cool. That was like the badge of arrival. And as great as the other awards were and as financially lucrative as the Martha Stewart one was, and I still, I can't speak mm-hmm. more highly for her team and all the coaching they did. The Yankee Magazine was always my aspirational. So it's really cool. That's fantastic, Matt. Thanks. Congratulations to you for coming full circle and nailing something that is uh, not only a hard-earned acknowledgement, uh, but just something that is meaningful uh, for your family as well. So hats off for that one. So I know all of those uh, awards take a lot of hard work to get to uh, even be in the consideration for those. So tell me how you stay healthy and how do you recharge to keep up pace and the mental the, the mental attitude you need to run a good business? Okay, so the work-life balance question doesn't exist. My mm-hmm. work life is so ridiculously integrated. My wife and I live on our boat. It's about a tenth of a mile away from my shop. Back of my shop is set up almost like a man cave in the evening. So I'll watch, I'll watch videos and tie knots till, oh my God, early in the morning. You know, we, we walk around town a little bit. I've got the dog. We do do that sort of thing. You know, I've got my little little British sports car that's fun to drive around and kind of refresh. But in the business, there's so many different things going on. As long as you don't tunnel vision into one, the mental space use is always so varied that you don't really you don't really feel a burnout burn type thing. I've always mm-hmm. been a high energy player. I've always, you know, since I was, I don't even know, uh, you know, you know, when I was in high school, I was uh, I was doing martial arts track, straight A straight A student, and um, very active in the mm-hmm. church all at the same time. So I'm used to having full days, full mm-hmm. schedules my whole life. So it's just one of those things. I try to keep the business in a, in a position that I can step up, walk away, and do something different if I have to. And knowing that I'm not actually chained in place is freeing in itself. Mm-hmm. This weekend, one of our as part of our collaboration, um, Bobby over at Mystic Boat Adventure brought us out in these 30, 30 horsepower catamaran boats and we were screaming around uh, Fisher's Island Sound seeing how, how drenched I could get Jill while we, while we're hitting waves at you know 25 miles an hour in you know <laughs> 45 degree water 
So that was, that was a good, that was a great time. And now you come out of that, I, you know, I came out of it energized, you know, my wife came out of it and eh, not so much, but it was, still, it, was still, it was still a fun time and she talks <laughs> well of it. So, but it was, a, it was a little colder than she wanted yeah. to be, but she, she grew up, she grew up as a flatlander up in uh, Northeastern Connecticut. I grew up on the water here. So if I wasn't, if I wasn't drenched in cold salt water, it wasn't, it wasn't cold anymore. You know, it's just, you know, we hit the water in, in, in late February, early March, and we wouldn't leave the water until November, early December when it froze over. We're doing something in the water. That's New England. That's New England for you. What is the biggest lesson you've learned in running the business? Pa- being patient with impatience is knowing you can't take your foot off the gas. You've got to keep it going, keep it growing. But you have to also realize it takes time to get traction and go. So you can't you can't give up on working hard and pushing mm-hmm. things forward, but you got to know the actual results are going to be sitting on a horizon you can't see yet. You know, I've had um, conversations mm-hmm. with people. One, one example, I gave out coasters, which is my thing to do, to a uh, museum association about six, seven years ago. And four years later, I got a call from somebody mm-hmm. doing their wedding. And the reason they chose us was... Their cubicle neighbor had a coaster on their desk from a previous job they brought with them. Calling card carried <laughs> to a person from a different wow. career field next to the person who left their old career field. So to know that whatever the ripples you put out there, wow. just you got to keep the pressure up and keep going with it. And not, not expecting the result, but knowing, there, knowing some mm-hmm. results going to be out there somewhere. And being impatient about not giving up on up. Mm-hmm. Don't let opportunities slip by. But don't also don't expect returns that you can see. Yeah. It's hard to know how the dots will connect, but you know it's a numbers game, and it, you know if you if you keep going, then you know something will settle out. I'm going to make a really long uh, thing on this, but one story that I like to tell, I haven't told this one in a while, was the first Martha Stewart event. We got there early because I don't do cities; I hate cities. So we got there early, and we're in there poking around, and the gaffer team and the setup teams in there doing what you guys do at your show. And there's this one guy who was just drenched in sweat and he's running around like a crazy person. And I had my badge. So, you know, I don't know where I can go or I can't go. So I went back to the green room. Um, I grabbed mm-hmm. a water bottle out of the out, out of the display, walked back up and handed it to him. And, he, you know, he was grateful. And, um, and that was the end of that. Later in the show, some guy comes up and he's talking to me. And then a month later, I get a phone call from a guy named John Darian who placed an order, $4,000 order. Turned out the the gaffer guy who I gave the water to was his best friend from high school. It also turns out uh, that the uh, that John Darian shop in Soho has a four year waiting list to introduce your product line to him. And he's a really he's, in, he's an internationally known artist of his own, and his, his his store is a destination people travel the world to go see. And that little bottle of water mm-hmm. got me in the door, my product in the door, cash in my hand, and it cost me nothing more than being nice to somebody, which is why yeah. you see me at the shows. I tend to help out everybody around me. I tend to do those little things. I've got my tool bags, just mm-hmm. like you guys have your your, ba- your box of wonder there with all the zip ties and everything. And I've got a similar thing at my, sh- <laughs> at my booth so people can use it if they need to also. A little kindness. You never know, and you don't do it for that Uh-oh. reason, but, you know, it. It uh, it can come back to you in ways that you can't expect. As far as you mentioned your uh, your tip, your your own MacGyver box. Any other tips or resources that you think would be helpful? Uh, whether books, apps, 
online resources, anything you think would be helpful for other makers? Apps is more my, jo- my wife's world, but um, our whole business operates under a piece of software called Asana, A-S-A-N-A. It's mm-hmm. actually designed for yeah. IT Gantt chart flow management systems. And what we've adapted it to is mm-hmm. when a wholesaler comes in, we break it up into subsection projects. And then that gets farmed off to different areas that where the tools are. So everybody has, has their to, to-do list where their tools are. And they can check it off. And then the person who's, my wife usually, who's in the middle of the orders can see check marks and no product's been made. And generally it's making to restock. But if it's mm-hmm. making for her actual need, she knows that now the order's ready to ship without having to interact, to ask, any of that sort of thing. And it's just such an amazing enabler. That's, that's probably doubled our throughput, just yeah. having that Asana tool. That's great. Now, I've heard great recommendations on Asana, you know, whether it's Asana, Basecamp, Trello. Those are all fantastic for project management. And usually they have a starter free. So if anybody just wants to check them out, I will definitely link to that in the show notes if somebody wants to just bang around. We're using the free version. Any other uh, any other resources you think would be helpful that you've found? For the mainers, the uh, main SBA is really good. Um, SBDC. Mm-hmm. Our version down here is mostly the score groups, which is the all the retired executives. And I'll be honest with you, the score group has some great lessons mm-hmm. in learning, but they're mostly retired from big business. They're not used to dealing with what we mm-hmm. deal with. But if you really get in with them well, the network's amazing. I had a question about a book that Tom Patty wrote about the origins of Apple's branding. And in the conversation, I ended up about two weeks later getting a call from Tom Patty, who said, what's your question on my book? <laughs> and I was able to get the answer. And it was really wacky because he called me probably three times over the six months to see how it was going and what it, and how it was applied from his book. Very cool. So, you know, SCORE is a great access point for not just information, but networks of people who have answers. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. Great. What else, Matt, keeps you inspired or motivated when it gets tough, when you have that thousand dollar, you know, materials piece that you've got to toss or what keeps you inspired? Inspired. Um, How about about fear? (laughs) How about the idea that I've got a generational business that, you know, my whole story is based on my grandfather's business being 62 years old, Uh where my grandfather it was could walk in and see this he wouldn't recognize it it's so much different yeah. than what he had mm-hmm. but to let down let him down to the shame to the to the shame to to the town to not be able to keep it going keep things right is really the motivator it's kind of it's kind of sad that it's a fear-based motivation but mm-hmm. it's one of those things it can't fail yeah. because i feel like you know there's so little Bright, there's so few bright spots in our state's economy. There's so few bright spots mm-hmm. of just I don't know, bridging into weird stuff here. Um, mm-hmm. What makes what makes a culture, which makes a town, which makes a state unique, is 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 the is the differentiation. If everything is, mm-hmm. you know, McDonald McDonald's and Macy's, and why would you be one place than the other? And yeah. you know, I'm fighting back against homogeny and trying to, you know not fail at that. There's probably about a dozen of us in town. They're all on the same mission to keep it, keep mm-hmm. it, keep it real, keep it good. And, you know, yeah. you're aware most of, most of your clients up there at the New England made are in the same boat. They're all, you know, mm-hmm. trying to not be just another can of beans, trying not to be just mm-hmm. so generic. And I don't mm-hmm. want to see us fail because if we, if we fail, you're just stuck with the generic Chinese, you know, Asian, you know, imports that 
look like everything else and plastic bull molded this and disposable that. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to see the, I don't want to see any of this die. Well said. Well said. Matt, as we close that out, I think that's really getting to the core of what, what most artisans are starting with. They're, they're, do, they're providing more than just a product. There's something deeper than that. So do you have any last advice that you'd like to share or anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap it up? I really don't think of anything off the top of my head, except that if you're going to take your hobby to the level of business, realize that it won't be your hobby anymore. And you've got to look at the whole plan, the whole thing, and be ready for continuous education, not just in your artisanship, but in business and marketing. You're going to be a better expert at how to run a business than any other business person you've ever met by the time you're successful. Because you're going to learn everything there is to learn in a very shallow, broad way, which also will then give you access to the experts to ask them the detailed questions just in those little areas that you need the help and fill it in. So be ready, be ready for a ride and be ready to be a student of the game. That's great. And uh, as we wrap it up, Matt, uh, how should listeners get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you or learn more about Mystic Knotworks? The best place to find us is Instagram through, uh, Myst- uh, you know, at Mystic Knotwork. And it's obnoxious, but it also spells out my stick not work. If you don't know how to spell mystic not work, um, you know, our website is, is the same. You can stop by our shops downtown, stop in and chat. It's, you know, we're open seven days a week, at least from 10 to 6, except for Sunday, 12 to 6. We're always open to give advice. The only thing I won't tell you is where I get my stuff. It took me 20 years to get it right. So, but as far as business advice, I'm here for anybody. Terrific. Great. Well, thanks again, Matt, for joining us today. I really appreciate uh, your advice and hearing your story. And uh, I hope folks will stop in and check out your shop whenever they're down in the area. Visit artisanswholesale.com for show notes with resources and links that help you work smarter, earn more, and live 